That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All rise. Welcome to the Cyber Law and Business Report. Get the top story on the hot-button Internet legal topics of the day. This is your home for the latest on Internet law and policy. Hear the latest net trends impacting business and have your questions answered right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Now, please welcome your host, the founder of the Internet Law Center, Bennett Kelly. The following is an encore segment of Cyber Law and Business Report. Good morning. This is Bennett Kelly talking to you live from the Internet Law Center in Santa Monica, California. Um, we have a, a busy show for you today, and we're going to be starting off talking about online weapon sales in, in light of the tragedy in Aurora, Colorado. Um, and in the second half hour, we have David Sneed returning, and David's going to be talking about um, he's just fresh, freshly back from Boston, where um, he spoke at HostingCon 2012 and talked about, are you the next mega upload? And I think that's going to be an important issue for a lot of hosts. Um, so, but before we start, um, we, have, um, we have David Kennedy. He is a um, gun historian and a museum curator in, in Oklahoma. Um, and um, David, are you with us? Yes, I am, Bennett. Thank Thanks you for having me on. Yes, thank you for joining us and um, on this um, short notice and, and on a, a very um, sad topic. And yeah. um, you know, f- from what we've heard from reports um, so far, it appears that some amount of the weaponry um, the killer in Aurora assembled was purchased online. I believe a, a large um, amount of ammo was actually purchased online. And um, what is, is that your understanding? My yes, my understanding is uh, he had four firearms that were purchased locally in gun stores in the area, and that he purchased over six thousand rounds of ammunition uh, through various online sources. I mean, in your experience, as um, to extent you know, is that something that's unusual? You know, uh, is that a, a normal type of purchase that you would type, you'd see, expect to see online? Uh, yes and no. Most folks who are going to be gun owners are going to buy ammunition 20, 50 rounds at a time at their local gun store, at Walmart. A lot of people don't necessarily go online to buy ammunition unless they're looking at either volume or a specialty type of ammunition that they can't get at their local source. And and so... What would what would be the type of volume that would require? You know, I was going to say trigger, but <laughs> a very poor word choice um, that would lead someone to um, 
you know, purchase online for you know what what volumes would kind of exceed a local store's capacity? Uh, typically, if you're buying most ammunition, especially the common ammunition, whether you're talking about uh, the 5.56 millimeter that the shooter this weekend would have used in the AR-15 he had, or if you're talking about the 12-gauge shotgun ammunition that he used, you would typically, if you're going to buy more than a few hundred rounds, you would have to go someplace outside of the local community, simply because most of the local stores, they might only have a few hundred rounds on the shelf, and that's for people who are hunters, people who are target shooters, people who are trap and skeet shooters, if you're going to be shooting more than just that basic amount, you're going to almost definitely have to go online or go to a larger gun store of some sort in some of the major urban areas. Now, if you, uh, if you live, you live in Enid, right? Yes, I do. And um, if you purchased um, a gun in Enid, Oklahoma at a store, what would you um, what would you have to do to present in order to purchase a weapon? To well, the, and the laws are pretty much similar across this country, uh, with the with a few exceptions. Uh, Illinois, notably, and some of the other states have their own state requirements that you have to fit have to fulfill in order to purchase a firearm. But for here in Oklahoma, it's the same thing as if. When I used to live in Wyoming, when I used to live in Montana, when I used to live in Arizona, you walk in, you pick out the gun, you fill out a form called the FFL 4473. It essentially takes down all of your vital statistics as well as uh, answering a small number of questions saying whether or not you are a convicted felon, whether or not you're a drug user, whether or not you've ever been uh, adjudicated uh, mentally insane or deficient. I can't remember the exact terminology they use on the form. But just essentially saying that you're somebody who is legally able to own the gun. And, and the form was, what's the form, FFL? It's, it's called the uh, 4473. 4473 FFL? Mm-hmm. Yep, FFL 4473. And the form, once you fill out that information, the gun dealer... And this is in keeping in mind, this is at a gun store when you're dealing with a licensed firearms dealer. Mm -hmm. They are required to call that form into what's called uh, for a NICS check, National um, Identity, I think it's the National Identity Crime Center, uh, crime. uh, It's it's a check that's ran off of the FBI. It's just one of these things that everybody always refers to them all by the acronym, so we all forget what the real words are. but you call that in, they run a background check through the FBI. This is actually kept by federal leg- legislation separate from alcohol, tobacco, and firearms. Uh, the check is done by the FBI. They maintain a database that essentially says whether or not people are convicted felons, whether you might have a misdemeanor, domestic assault, something like that, that would keep you from buying the guns. These checks may last, may take two minutes. They may take up to three days. And so if I walk in, I'm already on record as having purchased guns, and they've done this check before. So if I do a check, I might have to wait five minutes, and they'll get a call back saying, okay, Mr. Kennedy can buy his gun. If you're somebody who is a first-time gun buyer, 
you may have to wait two, three days. And first time that I bought a gun, I had to do that just simply because they had no record on me. But then once you get that done, you can purchase that gun. But that's just the one real hurdle is just get passing that background check in a okay. gun store. So if you went to um, a gun store right now, which would, would somewhat interfere with this broadcast, but nonetheless, um, <laughs> if you went, um, you likely, would you likely would wait just because of your prior background checks? It, 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 you would expect it to be approved within you know, a, a waiting amount of time? Yeah, I, I would expect within uh, 15, 20 minutes tops. Now, if you made that same purchase online, what would you have to demonstrate? And actually, let me back up. Have you ever have you ever purchased a gun or weapons online? Yes, I have, actually. Okay. Uh, a few years back, I was shooting trap a lot, and I, had, I was just using just a basic pump shotgun. I wanted a really nice over-under shotgun. Uh, that was a higher quality. It was kind of like just like, like you take your old set of Wilson golf clubs and you're upgrading to a ping. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what I did is I went and I took a look at my local gun shops and I didn't find what I wanted. I took a look online on a webpage called gunbroker.com. And at Gunbroker, I found a shotgun I wanted at a very good price. And I put in an offer on the gun, ended up winning it in the auction. And that gun was then shipped. I had to provide a copy of a local federally licensed firearms dealer to that seller. That, that seller shipped that gun to that license holder. I went into that gun store, filled out a Form 4473. They called in the check. I walked home with the gun. That's how online sales are supposed to occur if they're going to cross state lines. Um, but if... What if they're not? What if it, if was um, the online? It was an online sale, but it was just Oklahoma City. What if you're buying from Kevin Durant? <laughs> if yeah, if, if I'm buying from Kevin Durant, uh, there's no legal requirement for a private sale as long as it's inside the state. There's and, no requirement. I could I could sell buy or sell a gun from the facilities guy at the place that I work. I could sell it to my next door neighbor. No background check at all because that's a private deal between two individuals. As long as it doesn't go across state lines, there's no problem. If it goes across state lines, I could live in Minneapolis and selling oh, – I'm sorry. I could live in uh, – oh, let's see here. Great example. St. Louis or East St. Louis. I live right. in St. Louis. I own a gun. I want to sell a gun to somebody in East St. Louis. By law, I'm supposed to transfer take that gun to a gun dealer – a legally federally licensed gun dealer in that state, in the state of Illinois, and then sell that gun to that person, having them getting the background check through that licensee. Now, um, if let's say let's if it was your next door neighbor, um, mm-hmm. and there's are there state requirements that would regulate that sale or no? In most states, no. There are some states that do require, and it's one of those things that again, I'm, I'm not a lawyer. But you're going to need to check the law in your own particular states. Uh, I was born and raised in Illinois, and I know that they have some. There's still some pretty strict laws there, but it's state by state as to how some of the private transactions need to take place. But most states of the union, you can just sell to anybody as long as you don't believe there's any reason that they should not have a gun. You're going to be fine. 
No, yeah, I mean, you have a blog called Liberal Gun Owner and a uh, uh, liberal gun guy. A li- liberal gun guy. I, you know, I'm sure you get enough flack as it is. I don't think you want to throw in being a lawyer on top of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've I've, I've always uh, joked that if I ever become really disgraced, I'll go get a law degree. <laughs> no, you wouldn't be the first. But um, so one question though, I mean, we talked about you know, if. You said you made an important qualification. You know, as long as you didn't um, believe, you thought this person was a legitimate bona fide buyer and was going to be using it improperly. Then um, we talked a little bit offline about there was a study done by the New York um, New York law, New York um, Police Department, and it found that I believe like six, they did a, an audit of some online sales. And in sixty, and and as part of going undercover, they absolutely actually said that they would not. They don't believe they would pass a federal background check. Yeah. And sixty-two percent of the sellers went ahead nonetheless. Yeah, that was that. It, it was unfortunate for a number of different things, and there's some different uh, issues that I know that some of the people within the gun public, I know specifically with the NRA, that they take issue with how. Uh, Bloomberg went about doing that and the process they went through. That's I'm neither here nor there. I've actually I'm a life member of the NRA, but I take great issue with some aspects of the NRA and how they do some of what they do and why they do it. But for the Bloomberg report, what they did come out with on that, it's one of those things I've seen myself, is you get some people who are gun owners who they don't like how the government does stuff. They don't care. They don't see the importance of it. And yet they'll sit and they'll complain when something like this last weekend takes place. And I think it really is – there is that problem out there. And it's one of the issues that I've had for the last few years. And it's one of the reasons that some of the gun guys I know, they'll take issue with some of the things I say because I agree that there should be – a background check whenever there is a private transaction simply because my next door neighbor Steve might be a really nice guy and he'll come over and he'll watch my house or he'll mow my lawn if, if I'm going to be gone for a couple of weeks but I may not know that Steve has a felony conviction 20 years ago I may not know that Steve is a regular drug user and I mean there's lots of different issues there that you're just not going to know or the, uh, mental, you know, or the mental health issues as right, well. Right, yeah. And you know, we discussed earlier that I'm in the museum field. I regularly give seminars for museum professionals dealing with firearms as part of their historical collections or their object collections. And one of the big things I point out is you need to do background checks on your staff and on your volunteers simply because you do not know what happened in somebody's past. Your top volunteer, her husband, who knows some stuff about guns, he may want to come in and work with your gun collection, but you may also not realize he was dishonorably discharged from the armed services 20 years ago. And that will exclude him from being able to legally get involved with firearms. Wow. So if I, if, if I wanted to donate, you know, let's, let's say, you know, for example, my father was in World War II and he's passed. And let's say I, I discovered he had some weaponry um, for World War II. So if I wanted to donate that to a museum, um, not that I have any um, actually, but if right. I wanted to donate that to, to a museum, I, I would still have to go through the, the gun background? No. Nope. If you are wanting to donate uh, a firearm to a museum, 
Uh, first, if if it's a gun that's older than 1899, if it was made prior to 1899, it's not legally a gun. It's as far as the government's concerned, <laughs> it's wooden metal. It's, it's an arbitrary date. It was established in 1934, and I mean, it's part of the same laws that establish definitions of machine guns. It was as a response to all of the gangster violence that was going on around prohibition. Exactly. But if you wanted to, if you've got a brand new deer rifle that you want to donate to a museum for some reason, or a World War II gun you want to tran- you want to transfer to a museum, typically there are no problems, especially if the museum is a city, county, state, or federal museum. They're ten- they tend to be exempt from most of those. Uh, regulations simply because they're a government agency. So the only issue that you have to really watch out for is if it's something along the lines of a machine gun. There are problems where those are concerned. Okay, when we um, we're going to take a short break, but when we come back, we have Dave Kennedy, and we're going to talk about what what if anything we need to do about online weapon sales after these messages. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. Are you paying too much for your paid advertising, or have you quit altogether because it seemed like a huge waste of money? Studies show that companies waste 25% of their PPC spend on average. The web marketing experts at WMETraining.com can show you how to make your AdWords account a lean, mean converting machine. Whether you're just starting out or want to take your skills to the next level, we have a class for you. Contact the web marketing experts at WMETraining.com. Whether you are an online business or domain name investor, you need access to the best names. With over 270 million domains already registered, finding the right names at the best price requires a great wingman. Namejet.com puts you in the pilot seat by giving you fast and unparalleled access to some of the best premium and expired domain names on earth. As the number one domain name auction platform, Namejet.com is the best place to find domains for your business or investments. So light the afterburners to the domain name aftermarket and fly over to Namejet.com at mock speed to get great domains today. Namejet.com. Looking for a white-label SEO and social platform for your clients? Think eBrands. Free and unlimited SEO audit reports. eBrands. Premium Facebook apps and welcome page creators. eBrands. Twitter management app, analytics, and mobile site generators. eBrands. Let eBrands manage your search and social media campaigns and give you and your clients access to their white label dashboard, which have great reports that will wow your clients and deliver great ROI and results. Try eBrands for 30 days. Go to eBrandsWithAZ.com or call 1-866-625-5717. That's eBrandsWithAZ for eBrands. Jamming and spamming, cashing in the clicks. SEO is always in session, only on Cranberry Radio, cranberry.fm. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. And we're back. This is Bennett Kelly um, with the Cyber Law and Business Report here on Webmaster Radio. And um, we may not be everywhere, but hopefully we're on your computer right now or on your, uh, you're listening to us on your iPod. But um, we're back with David Kennedy and we're talking about the shooting in Aurora. 
and uh, it's a it's a tragedy, and it's 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 caused a lot of debate. And um, just um, today, the families of the victims from the Tucson shooting um, from two years ago that um, you know tragically killed a number of people and um, seriously wounded Gary Gabby Giffords and uh, led to her resignation from Congress, and she's still recovering from that. Um, They've come forward and they have an ad actually that's in USA Today today in which um, it says, another mass shooting in America, another moment of silence, but will the moment ever end? And so they've come forward as survivors and um, they've demanded action from both um, and a plan from both um, President Obama and presumptive nominee Mitt Romney. So – David, you know, let's start first with the online topic. Um, do you think that there's anything that needs to be done to address online um, gun sales and online weapons sales in, you know, in light of what's happened and in light of the New York um, Police Department investigation? Well, as regards to the shooting this weekend, I wanted to reiterate that all four of the guns that were purchased, that were used or owned by the shooter were all purchased locally going through and following all of the federal regulations for purchasing firearms. Uh, regarding the New York City investigation, that's one of those things as we were discussing. There are guys out there who are going to buck the system. They're going to not worry about it. They're going to do it under the table, whether it's because they are ignorant of the law and don't realize they'll get into trouble, whether they understand that those guns may be used in a crime and they don't care, whether they're just looking for money. There's a lot of different things that can come into that. Uh, myself, as I started to mention, I do believe that there needs to be some sort of background check that goes on for even private transactions. Other than something maybe going within a family I think that there are some issues along those lines. The I'm definitely in the minority of gun owners who believes that we need to have something in the way of a background check at gun shows. Just simply because if you're looking for where the bad guns come from, where, where the guns used in crime, where the guns come from that end up getting like all the stuff that was happening, uh, you know, you get. If, if you're a criminal and you want a gun, you know you can't go into a gun store and buy one. What are you going to do? You're going to go to a gun show. You're going to find somebody online who's willing to do this without paperwork. And so you'll mm -hmm. still be able to get hold of the gun you want. And so I take a great issue with how that goes. Uh, probably I'd be willing to bet that the largest number of guns used in crimes are obtained in that way. But until we see some stats on it, we aren't going to know for sure. Uh, and like I said, I'm very much the minority, and I know gun guys who just bristle up anytime government regulations start to rear in there. But it's something that I think needs to be taken care of. For regulating any of this stuff, it's I, I also see that there's a slippery slope. You start to regulate one thing, you regulate another. The last thing that I think we need to do is try and bring reinstitute – I've heard some calls this weekend – reinstituting the assault weapon ban that came in in the 90s and then expired in 2004. The, my big issue with that is it really didn't do a thing. The guns that they were banning the day after the ban came into place, 
the companies were still manufacturing the exact same guns with minor, minor cosmetic differences. Well, that but that goes that goes to not necessarily an, an objection to um, appropriate regulation of assault weapons, but really just a definitional issue. They just did a poor job at defining assault weapons. Yeah. It, it, it was it was a nice idea that was very poorly executed. I mean, I know for you know had that ban been in place, um, the rounds that were used in Tucson you know, could not have been sold. Um, well, no the. Had that ban been in place, the magazines that were used, uh, those the extended magazines that the shooter used yes. in Tucson, uh, those uh, would have been prohibitively expensive. Uh, the what happened when the assault because weapons ban illegal. came in? Well, when as part of, specific to the assault weapons ban, it limited the magazine size to ten rounds. Right. There were magazines that had been manufactured prior to the assault weapon ban that were much larger and the same size you could get in Tucson and now here we are almost 10 years after the ban has expired so even if they were to reinstitute it uh, I've got magazines and ammunition at home more than what the guy probably had in Tucson but the and a lot of shooters out there are getting a hold of this stuff Every time that there's a shooting, whether it was the Tucson shooting, whether it was the shooting this weekend, gun guys are going out and they're buying the guns, they're buying the magazines, they're buying the ammunition because they believe, and I, and I do think that there is some legitimacy in this. We already had one gun ban, assault weapon ban for a decade. There's a belief that the stuff that they want will no longer be available whenever this next another round of regulation comes in which may be the you know which which could be the case yeah but um you know that 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 in itself is a reason not to regulate and um i, I know there have been surveys that have shown even among nra members that you know they love, the majority of them do support some sensible regulation obviously right. they they, they you know, for example, the cop killer bullets. I remember in the eighties that was a big issue, and NRA fought it tooth and nail. But if, you know, among the actual population of the NRA, they actually supported it. Well, yeah, and a lot of people will support bits and pieces of a lot of the legislation, just not the whole package. It's similar to what happened with the Affordable Care Act. A lot of America likes each of the individual aspects of it. They just didn't want the whole thing all at once. And a lot of it was just how the public relations aspect of it was pushed. But with the firearm side of it, there are a lot of little things here and there that would help. It was like you mentioned the cop killer bullets. That was one of those things. It was similar to when the Glocks were first really introduced into the United States. There was a huge complaint about how these guns could get – since they were heavily manufactured out of polymers – a large part of the gun was clear to x-ray machines. So people started complaining that, well, people are going to, they're a terrorist gun. They're going to smuggle them onto planes. There's so much metal in those guns that it's impossible to get them through an x-ray machine without recognizing it for what it is. And it's, it just depends on how some of the people are 
skewing the discussion. Some people are trying to, I'm trying to avoid using the word spin, but some people are trying to describe certain aspects of uh, legislation on both sides. And so that really is kind of what becomes an issue is when you've got the two extremes trying to come to a happy medium. We um, we only have a few minutes left. And just um, for those listening, the um, the survey that I'm referring to um, was released by Mayors Against Illegal Guns. And it was done by GOP pollster Frank Lutz um, and among NRA members and gun owners. And it found that 87% of NRA members agree that support for Second Amendment rights goes hand-in-hand with keeping guns out of the hands of criminals. And 74% of NRA members and 87% of non-NRA gun owners support requiring criminal background checks of anyone purchasing a gun. So, But I'm afraid we're we're almost out of time. Um, David, I really appreciate you joining us on such short notice. Um, Is there anything, anything you want to say before we wrap up? Well, no, just wanted to thank you for having a discussion about this subject. It's one of the issues, just given what's happened this weekend, it usually tends to lead to people yelling and screaming at each other and looking for a soundbite, and it's just great to be able to participate in a fact-based conversation about the subject. My, I appreciate it. I really appreciate having you on. Um, so we're going to take a short break. But David, oh, by the way, where, what's, what's your blog URL? It's at www.liberalgunguy.com. And I, I really recommend looking at it because it has interesting perspectives from a gun owner as well as reaction to some of the overcoverage of these type of events um, as they occur. So um, I would definitely recommend taking a look at that for just a different perspective on this issue. Listen for us on iTunes, and um, thank you again for joining. This is Bennett Kelly with Internet Law Center. Um, be sure to check out our newsletter, um, ILC Cyber Report. It's available on WordPress, or you can sign up on our website, internetlawcenter.net, um, to get the newsletter free, and we'll have one coming out this week most likely. So have a happy and safe week, and we will see you here next week on Cyber Law and Business Report. This is Bennett Kelly from Internet Law Center in Santa Monica saying have a great week. Bye-bye. This has been a presentation of WebmasterRadio.fm, the world's largest business-to-business radio and podcast network. We welcome you to sample past episodes of this program, as well as our complete library of programs, on demand or on the air via our 24-7 live audio stream at www.webmasterradio.fm. The opinions expressed are those of the hosts and their guests and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of Cranberry News Marketing and Cranberry.fm. Rebroadcasts or retransmission of this content without proper consent is prohibited. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. 
Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.